When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast Season Postmortem Edition. We're going to be talking about Miami here. Uh, my name is Joey Weaver. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Mike McDaniel. Mike, how are you doing? What's up, Joey? <laughs> uh, we're also joined once again on the program by our good friend uh, covering Miami at stateoftheu.com on the SB Nation Network. Uh, one of the best Miami coverage guys I think I've ever seen. And a, a former guest of the podcast and a, and a friend of ours, Mr. Cam Underwood, joins us. Cam, it's good to have you back, man. Yeah, man, it's good to be back over here, uh, you know, talking about the 2016 excuse me, season uh, and just recapping everything that happened for the Miami Hurricanes. Let's go. Yeah, it was an eventful one. Um, so this was, you know, year one under Mark Richt, and we can kind of talk about the story of the season here a little bit. And I thought it was really interesting the way that this all kind of unfolded for Miami because it was like – it was almost like three seasons where, you know, they start out winning four games and then they lose four games and then they win five games. And so it was just extremely streaky. I, I'm curious as to your take as to what, like, caused that. I mean, was it, I mean, did something change in the middle or, you know, like what, what kind of, what kind of happened that caused this thing to unfold the way that it did? We lost to Florida State. Um that's a good start. You know, I mean, I mean, it's not a good start, but I mean, to, for the narrative of this podcast, I mean, that's a good place to begin our conversation. But I mean, that's just been the story for the last, what, seven years in a row. We lose to Florida State and then we lose another two or three or four games that and a couple of those games after Florida State for the hangover, we should not lose, you know, um, and just find a way to. And the offensive line, I mean, just got I mean, they just got handled so badly by Florida State. Um but, you know, you make a, a comeback at the end, drive down the field, get a touchdown to Stacey Coley on fourth in the ball game. And I was not working that game. I was not blogging. I was not in the press box. I was sitting in that end zone, in that corner, in the third row as he threw that ball to Stacey Coley, which also means that I had a third row seat when that kick got blocked. And... My buddy with whom I sit when I go to the games as a fan, he never watches extra points, ever, ever, ever. He always turns around. He's a big dude. Uh, Roman Kane on Twitter, if you follow me and him. Um, but he's a big dude. He's like 6'4", 235, you know, or whatever. And he just heard the double tap, and he yelled an obscenity very loudly, shook my hand, took his wife, and they left. He was like, see you, buddy. Gone. And that was really the, the beginning of the slide, you know? And then you go and you lose a couple other games, you know, after that, you have a short week going to Virginia Tech, and they just kind of blitzed us, and that was overall probably our worst front-to-back game of the year just because we, we weren't ready, and, and Virginia Tech was. You know, and that, it just, it, it, it's always a struggle to find, or has been a struggle, 
to find our identity as a team after losing to Florida State because you put everything into that game. That game matters more, you know, and we talked about it here on this podcast. Those kids played against each other and with each other in high school. Those are bragging rights, like all those kind of things. And that game just intangibly means more. And then once you have that letdown, climbing back out of that hole was really, I think, the kind of thing that took a while um, and made that season, like you talked about three seasons by winning four, losing four, and then winning five. Um, yeah, and I would just have to say, you know, if we're, we're talking about it in the kind of outbreak uh, way, you know, what was the, the monkey that was the beginning of the, the, the disease? It was that loss to Florida State. I guess my question for you, Cam, and, you know, to kind of piggyback off of, off of the slide there that you were talking about middle of the season, most surprising result, and there's one in particular in my mind, uh, one particular 4-8 and eight football team, uh, road game you might have been in attendance for. Uh. Yeah, middle of nowhere yeah. in Indiana. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's it. Um, took a took a Friday off of work, flew up to Chicago. Um, both of my parents are from Chicago, by the way. Uh, so got to see my aunts and uncles, some cousins. You know, did some family stuff all day Thursday night and Friday. You hope know, you went to my hotel. Weekend. Say what now? I said I hope you enjoyed that part of your weekend. Oh no, that was nice. Yeah, I had a bunch of friends uh, come in. I was going to go to the game uh, at Notre Dame with uh, one group of friends with about four people, and then eight friends from another group of friends were like hey it's the week of the game it's like that tuesday but we're coming up to chicago and we're going to go to the game and i was like oh okay so i did that you know drove in it's a 90 minute drive straight down i-90 um right in there you know you go down to uh, notre dame and south bend and everything i've been through but not to south bend but yeah the most shocking result and the worst loss of the season is the road loss at notre dame that is just unacceptable i mean that I know that you you can't look at one thing and be like, well, you know, if we win this game, then we're nine and you know, ten and blah, blah, blah. but like, dude, that team was so bad. They were they were so bad, just like, and I can't believe that we lost to Notre Dame because I watched that Texas game and Texas wasn't good and they beat them. I saw a couple other Notre Dame games, you know, that hurricane game, monsoon game at North Carolina State, and that was kind of emblematic of what Notre Dame was on the year. And I'm sitting there just, you know. You know, we walk by Touchdown Jesus, which is right there on one of the buildings, and, you know, they all steeped in the history and everything. There's no video review board, so all those questionable calls, you know. I'm like, hey, let's look at the replay. Never mind, because they don't have, even though they're building one this off season. But that game was just, I, and I know that a lot of Hurricanes fans and people who are going to listen to this are going to say, no, the worst loss is Florida State because it's a rivalry and it's the one that matters most, just like you just said. And, da, da, da. and I get you on that side of it where you want to beat Florida State more than Notre Dame, even though that is one of the trinity of schools that I hate the most, Notre Dame was an abjectly terrible football team this year. Like, not kind of on the narrative, but just like concretely, they sucked. And this is a nine-win team that went up there and lost. And, I, you know, it. I yes, I'm a blogger and everything, but I'm a fan and I'm an alum and I'm trying not to curse on your podcast right now, but like my visceral reaction is such anger to that loss that I can't even tell you. Didn't Notre Dame lose to Duke this year? They lost to Duke, a Duke team that we beat, and they couldn't check up. And that was the thing that I said throughout the rest of the season when we finally got back to playing offense, when we finally got back to doing things, even in that bowl game against West Virginia. They were giving us the stop route to Amon Richards and to Stacey Coley on the outside because their corners had their heels at 12 yards at the snap every time. 
and I said it in the stands, and I, I tweeted it when I was, you know, working the other games. I said, they can't run with us, they can't stick us, they can't play with us. And I guess that, you know, that's me being a, a basketball player more than a football player, uh, you know, that coming out. But they just couldn't play us. They couldn't stick us one-on-one. They couldn't stick us on zone, you know. And so Duke definitely couldn't check us, and then you saw that result. Pittsburgh couldn't run with us, couldn't stick us. Um, West Virginia, they got a rude awakening talking all of their noise about, oh, we're a 10-win team, and this is, you know, demeaning. Oh, that was so good. Oh, I loved that. And, you know, I was putting up on Twitter, you know, the videos of them leaving the stadium, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter. Like, bro, what happened? Like, I mean, if you're so good and we're so bad and this is such disrespect, why can't you beat us? But I say all that to say these are teams that beat Notre Dame, that we beat soundly, and we lost to four-win Notre Dame. It did, whatever. I'm done. I, no. I hate to I hate to rub it in too, Cam, but Notre Dame also lost to Navy this year. Well, I mean, Navy, that's not bad. I mean, they run that triple option offense, and it can be, you know, tricky for them to, you know, to get teams off of the field, and, you know, Navy has the ball for 59 minutes out of a 60-minute game and everything, but Notre Dame lost to everybody but Miami, and that's why, to me, that's the worst loss of the season because that team was abjectly terrible, and we, I, there's no reason we should have lost that game. All right, well, instead of egging you on on more things that Notre Dame did that make that an that embarrassing loss, I, I will say I will say that it was right after that Notre Dame loss, right where you kind of thought everything was, like, really bottoming out, that Miami came back with a vengeance to finish the year. Um, and it started out with that huge home win over Pittsburgh, 51-28. I think that was about the low watermark for Pittsburgh's offense this year. Ran out of the Just stadium. a total – a total effort from Miami, and it, it really just turned into a, a really strong finish to the year uh, for the Hurricanes. Yeah, it did, you know, and that was the thing where we just kind of leaned on the offense a little bit more, and, um, you know, the defense did struggle a couple of times, but we really didn't get blown out. We didn't give up many points, except for, again, that Virginia Tech game. Like, that was the one where I think we gave up the most points of the year. I think they scored 37 on us. I don't think anybody else scored more than 24 against us the entire season, you know, but when the offense wasn't doing anything and it was, you know, it, it, you know, right hand washes left hand off against can't stay on the field and the defense is out there and they're only giving up 21 points. But if we're only scoring, you know, excuse me, uh, they're giving up 20 to Florida state, which again is a great defensive performance, but we only scored 19. That's just not going to be good enough. But yeah, we, we went out there against uh, Pittsburgh and the defense really stepped up. They played lights out uh, across the board. That was one of the games that uh, led me to start calling our starting cornerback corn elder by his full government name now which is second round nfl draft pick corn elder uh because he just <laughs> i mean they, you know pittsburgh does so much with their motions and everything and everybody who's listening to this saw that game against clemson where they give you a lot to look at they give you a lot of eye candy they give you orbit motion they you know run inside zone they did that nifty little option inside shovel pass thing that actually beat clemson and whatnot and they did all those things against us except for our defense locked them down um and I think that was really a positive step, and you start building upon that and, you know, all these other games that I was talking about. And, I mean, it was good to finally see that the team was able to right the ship after losing to Florida State, even though we went 1-5, and 1-4 and four in that five-game October that we had spoken about previously in the preseason uh, season preview um, about that telling the story of the season. Um, but even going 1-4 and four in that October, we didn't let it completely derail the season. And like you said, yeah, that November and December with the bowl win really got us going back, hopefully in a positive direction. And that five-game win streak was is the 
first time for this season that Miami has ended on a five-game win streak since 2000. It's also the first bowl win you said since, what, 06? Since 06 with the Micron MPC Computers Bowl in uh, Nevada or Boise or something like it was way out there and somewhere cold. But How's yeah. Micron MPC doing these days? Who? What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So, be, yeah, people are listening. It's like, okay, well, we're going to open Google and look at for Micron MPC, but I don't even know if they're an existing company anymore. But they were the title sponsor of a bowl the last time that we won a bowl game, which should tell you something. Had to feel good. Yeah, man. It was, like I said, it, it was it was great. Um, it was a party. Um, and it was weird because, like, you know, I've been with State of the U for a while now. And if you didn't know, I'm now the head managing editor over there now. Um Congrats. Yeah, I appreciate that because, uh, you know, our co-managing editor, uh, he, you know, left for personal reasons or whatever. So I'm like the head guy in charge now, which is crazy to me. But at the bowl game, I had like 30 people come up to me and I'm just there with my friend, you know, uh, Sean Lewis. We're just out there. Hey, you know, chilling, you know, whatever, drinking a beer, watching the game. And like, yeah, people coming over from other sections. Hey, are you can? Oh, my God. Like, I love your your site. And like, I hear you on this podcast. And I'm like, what, what, what? Huh? I'm just here watching the game. Like, I wasn't even, like, wearing a State of the U shirt, even though I had a State of the U fan give me one or something like that. So, uh, but all of that, you know, uh, love, you know, saying, okay, this is uh, what the work that we've been doing, you know, reaches people, you know, doesn't just go on the internet and die, and actually people are interacting with it and, uh, you know, enjoying it, and the fact that we whooped West Virginia's ass. Yeah, that was, that was a good day. So let's get into that game a little bit because, you know, I know that Miami obviously had a strong finish to the year, right, winning four straight before – the last game of the year and West Virginia fans I you know I saw it as an outsider not a Miami fan not a West Virginia fan just watching it kind of happen West Virginia comes in extremely overconfident their fans talking all that noise on Twitter and then uh, of course seeing Miami do what they did to West Virginia in that game um, obviously knocking out Skylar Howard helps a lot uh, having him just be under pressure the entire game not really play all that well uh, just talk a little bit more about that bowl win because I think that's a good springboard for Miami heading into next season, even without Brad Kaya. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the bowl game it was a it was a virtuoso performance across the board. It took a while for the adjustments on offense to really get us going uh, in that kind of a way. You know, scoring points, which you have to do to win games. But um, the defense came out very strong. Manny Diaz, our defensive coordinator, when he was hired for this job said that his goal for his defense was to play with unwavering violence. Uh, that's a direct quotation from his press conference, and that's what we did. Um, you know, Shelton Gibson, the wide receiver for West Virginia, ran his mouth a lot, saying, you know, we're going to knock Cornelder out of the draft because we're going to bomb him all day, you know, uh, you know, take him up top and have all these catches and yards against him. And Shelton Gibson had like three catches for 24 yards in the game and got flipped over on his head, you know, uh, on a play. Like, we just, we dominated them pretty much the entire game and they scored 14 points and I said this then and I wrote about it afterwards the only times that West Virginia scored were possessions in which Miami got a bogus personal foul penalty so there was one muffed punt early in the game when the guy just let the West Virginia returner let the ball hit him in the face and bounce away and they called kick catch interference which is the biggest malarkey I've ever seen because there was nobody around that guy they get the ball up by the 50 boom they go down the field and they score um, the next one, it wasn't a bogus call on the second one. That was when Mike Pinkney had his targeting penalty because uh, the guy, the receiver was kind of sliding to the ground. And to hit a guy on the ground, you kind of have to lead with your head towards the ground. So he got called for targeting there. And that took them from like the 45 down to the 30 on that drive. And that was when they were able to score. Uh, but outside of that, they were not able to do anything against Miami's defense. So we really bossed up. Uh, we took all of their statements personally. 
Brad Kai, the former now Miami Hurricanes quarterback, said they prepared the team prepared for this game like it was the national championship game. Excuse me, which makes me think that we can do that kind of preparation every single time because that was an elite performance. We stopped West Virginia on fourth down, I think, three or four times. We stopped them inside the 10-yard line twice, inside the 20-yard line three times. Um, you know, they were able to move the ball in the middle of the field a little bit, but not too terribly much. Um, Skyler Howard is terrible, and we exposed him for that. Um, and then, you know, on the other side, the running game finally got going after we opened up the pass game. And like I said, when we threw that stop route to Armand Richards about halfway through the second quarter, and then he worked his way across the field for that long touchdown, you know, I was just screaming because, I mean, look, you give him the ball and let him run. You know, so then you have that. You score another touchdown, that last drive when uh, Braxton Berrios, in the last drive in the first half, when they threw that seam route for the touchdown, they were doing a specific switch route combination. So you had an outside route that came on a square end, and the inside route went, like, on a flag towards the sideline. And then uh, on that last touchdown, Berrios faked like he's going to the flag, stuck his foot in the ground, and went straight up the, straight up the hash marks. And it was just wide open. And I was, I was screaming, throw the ball, throw the ball. And they threw it, you know, and he got blasted on that play. But, boom, you go from, you know, what was it, 7 nothing West Virginia to 21-7 Miami like that, you know. Um, and it just shows that we do have the potential to play to that kind of a level. And West Virginia was, what, ranked 12th or 14th in the final college football playoff rankings. So that's a top 15 team no matter which number they were at. You know, that was a 10-win team, and they only lost to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State being the other two teams with a pulse that they played in addition to Miami, but we don't need to go there right now. But, you know, I think that across the board, Miami had a very strong performance. Brad Kaya uh, took him a while to get going. I think it took Mark Richt a while to get going, calling plays that would be successful. But, you know, the defense was strong. The running game got going. Uh, had a couple big, you know, third and 12 conversions on just an outside zone play in the fourth quarter to finally run down that clock and everything. So I uh, saw a lot of great things from a lot of kids who are going to be back here. Joseph Jackson, uh, one of my favorite recruits in the 2016 class, should have been a five-star, uh, was a freshman All-American. Uh, he had two sacks in the game. Uh, you know, you had Michael Pinkney had a strong game until he got ejected for that targeting. Shaq Quarterman, another freshman All-American, had like nine or ten tackles. Uh, Corn Elder, Adrian Colbert played well in their final games. You know, you had Jaquan Johnson come up with the interception in that game. There was a lot to like, basically. Uh, so across the board, no matter where you look, offense, defense, special teams, uh, we dominated West Virginia. That was a very, very good win. And hopefully we take that level of preparation and intensity and the seriousness of the situation. We take that forward so that we know when we treat the game of football, with this level of gravitas, we can do great things. Cam, I, I will say that when Miami came to play Georgia Tech uh, early in the year, I think it was week, I guess it was the fourth game that Miami was playing. Uh, they, they had come off wins against, I think, uh, F, Florida A&M and FIU or FAU and then Appalachian State. And I know that the, the Miami fan base at that point had really high expectations, we'll say, Something that rhymes with we're going to win the national championship. Um, and so uh, I think that's kind of where we were. And that's obviously not where things ended up. Um, but still, I, I mean, I'd have to say this seems like it was a really solid first year under Mark Richt. I think a lot of the things that seem to have plagued the program over the last, you know, decade or so seem to have kind of worked their way out a little bit in terms of things like defense and focus late in the year especially after losing to Florida State things like this so I overall a, a success of a first year yeah I mean 
It was a success of a first year. Yeah, uh, you know, some of us Hurricanes fans who remember the good old days, you know, I was a sophomore in 2001 uh, with all those guys on the greatest college football team of all time and whatnot. You see three blowout wins um, to start the year before the bye week, and you think, okay, cool, we're going to do this all year long. And, you know, I caution people, excuse me, my phone's going off, Lord. Um, yeah, that's very unprofessional of me. Sorry, Mom, I'm going to have to text you back later. Um, Miami fans, I tell you what. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, um, like I was saying, yeah, so some of us, you know, harken back to that. But then, you know, those of us uh, who cover in any way the team blog, you know, whatever, we say, you know, eh, this was great, but it's Florida A&M and FAU and App State. So, like, let's temper our expectations because none of those teams should have been within, you know, four touchdowns of Miami. So we did what we needed to do. Um and yeah, I, I will say it was a su- successful year. Uh, it was not a perfect year by any means. Um, we could have realistically and easily, if we finished a couple more games, had a 10-11 win season. Um, and I think that would have been a perfect season. I don't think that this team was going to win the national championship this year, even with Brad Kai at quarterback and all the things that we had returning. But, you know, a nine-win year was... I think that was a good first step. We get a bowl win, so we end on a high note for the first time since 2006. So as we're recording this now, there's positivity looking back on our last performance instead of negativity. You know, like in the Sun Bowl in 2016, when um, at the end of the 15 season, that is when Joe Yearby uh, threw a halfback pass in a blizzard and it got intercepted against Washington State. So we lost that bowl game. Yeah, we're not rehashing any things like that. So uh, I think it was a solid first year. I think that the, the change really was on defense it was night and day um just such a stark difference and with a lot of the same guys on the team which lets me know that all the statements that we were making as hurricanes fans and writers and bloggers and journalists and all these other kind of things that the scheme previously was the issue are validated because if you have rj mcintosh you have a kendrick norton you know who played defensive tackle and they were basically doing nothing. You get a new coaching staff, a new position coach in there, and those guys took, you know, a meteoric leap forward. Like, you know, what's the difference? It's what they're being asked to do on the field and how they're getting coached to do it. You know, so I think that was really the big thing. Uh, obviously, we need to continue to develop the offensive line and running game and things like that because a Mark Rick offense, even with, you know, a new style quarterback, if we go to a mobile quarterback in this next uh, year and, you know, it's, um, part of our program going forward, you know, there's still going to be a heavy lean on the, the running game because that's who he is and that's what he wants to do. But like I said, overall, nine and four on the year, not perfect, but a very good first season and something that we can build on moving forward. And moving into next season, Cam, I'm biggest holes to fill, obviously, uh, looking at quarterback position with Brad Kai moving on to the NFL. Uh, quickly just, you know, evaluate Brad Kaya's season a little bit up and down, struggle with consistency at times. I think he had a really strong close to the year, uh, considering how he struggled with accuracy at times, especially in the middle four losses of the season. Uh, I thought he had a solid finish to the year and, and just kind of where Miami's going to go from here heading into next season with the losses he'll have on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think that Brad Kaya did have a good season. He is who he is. I mean, if you look at the statistics, this was actually his best statistical season. Um, It was very much in line with everything else that he had done in his previous years here at Miami. Um, 
So you kind of just saw the guy that we had at quarterback. Um, there were obviously some failings in the middle of the year, but I'm not going to put that completely on him. There were balls that were dropped. There were penalties. There were missed blocks in the run game. There were missed tackles in the defense. There were all kinds of other things. Could he have stepped his game up even more to help us win some of those games? Potentially possible, yes. I remember uh, I was at Notre Dame, and there was a seam route um, in that fourth quarter that David Njoku, he kind of ran a stick and nod, which is like, I'm going to go to the little kind of stop the hook route and then he did a shoulder fake and went up the field uh, on that last fourth down I think it was when Brad Kai got sacked and you know we turned the ball over to, to end that loss uh, he was wide open there so I mean maybe if Brad Kai shirks a defender and hits that throw it'll be good but you know uh, overall you know he had uh, what 27 touchdowns eight interceptions on the year uh, very strong season he ran the offense pretty well uh, when he was finally able to really uh, make the audibles that he wanted to. I think that's when offenses came alive against Duke, against Pittsburgh, against West Virginia, things like that. Um, so very cerebral kid, has good accuracy, has a good enough arm to make all the NFL throws. And I would note when he made an NFL throw from off, like, the right hash to the left sideline because he's not got the strongest arm in the world, but he can make all those throws. Uh, and very cerebral player who's good with the online uh, operations at the line of scrimmage, so he can do that. Um, apart from him up front on offense uh we're losing david njoku who's going to be a first round draft pick probably in the first you know, top 20 top 15 uh he's a freak tight end six four and a half two forty five two fifty uh you know with a 40 inch vertical uh was acc indoor high jump champion two years ago uh runs you know a four five or sub four five forty um he's so a freak he's just a freak i mean people might like draft twitter might not know about him except for like you know the head draft analysts at certain you know publications but um, yeah, David Njoku is going to be just, he's going to be the next great Miami Hurricanes tied in the NFL, and people are going to learn that name, because he's going to go to the combine and just set it on fire. It's going to be amazing. Um, so losing him, because I think he had like, you know, 40-something catches and nine touchdowns, he's the guy who you've seen the picture of leaping over a couple defenders in the end zone a couple times. Yeah, that guy. So he's going to be gone. Um, early to the NFL as a redshirt sophomore, Stacy Coley, who was a freshman All-American four years ago, which is crazy to me now. Uh, he just finished his senior season, and he's gone. Um, we lose Danny Isadora, who's the right guard on this team. He was a fifth-year senior uh, starting offensive lineman. And we also lose Joseph Yearby, who was the second-slash-third string running back. He is going early to the NFL because he's 22 years old and has two children and needs to provide for them, uh, which is kind of his main motivation to go. Uh, he might get drafted, he might not, but he has good uh, vision and one-cut ability, so if you put him in a zone uh, running system in the NFL, I think he'd be very successful and make somebody's roster. Um, also, from the running back position, Gus Edwards, who is going to be a fifth-year senior next year. He is going to be a graduate transfer. He just announced, or the University of Miami just announced uh, maybe about a week ago from the time we're recording this. So that's two running backs that we're losing, our quarterback, one wide receiver, one offensive lineman, and one freak tight end slash receiver dude. Uh, so there are going to be some losses, and obviously the big thing is going to be replacing the quarterback because Brad Kaya was the starter here since his first day on campus three years ago, and that was never really in question since he got here. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a new era. He's gone, and, I mean, if he would have come back for a senior year, he would have started, and I know that some Hurricanes fans might have wanted a change uh, from him, but if he was here, he would clearly have been the best quarterback on the roster. But now there's some uncertainty on that. We have about five candidates who are going to be competing to replace him, and that's really going to, I think, tell the story of next season, who we do get and decide to run at quarterback 
uh, and what they do with the position. Who's your preference? My preference is incoming freshman Nikosi Perry. He's a 